Thank you for coming to the podcast. Top Turtle MMA Podcast on FlowCombat.com is brought to you by a phenomenal BJJ and MMA clothing brand. I, of course, am talking about ADK Fightwear. They are a family-owned combat clothing brand focused on helping you get to whatever your goals are. So whether you're heading to ADCCs, hoping to take home that gold at a local tournament, or just trying to get in better shape, meet them at the top of whatever mountain you climb. And if you're ready to climb that mountain right now, you can go to adkfightwear.com and enter promo code TURTLE, that's T-U-R-T-L-E, for 10% off your entire order. Once again, that's adkfightwear.com, and they bring you this episode of Top Turtle MMA, and it starts right now. This is Daniel Gumby Vreeland here with Top Turtle MMA on FlowCombat.com, and we have the pleasure of speaking to Tara LaRosa, New Jersey Martial Arts Hall of Famer, champion of organizations such as Bodog Fight, UCW, Locked in a Cage, and I'm sure a dozen more that I'm not mentioning. He, she's an MMA legend of the sport, and we've got a chance to talk to her today. So, Tara, let's start off talking about uh, this episode's all about women who are pioneers of MMA and sort of were part of MMA during the darker times. Can you tell us a story about what MMA looked like for women uh, during these early days? They didn't really, I mean, I started back in 2000, 2001, back when weight classes were still kind of up in the air, and it was kind of like, well, you know, we could do this or we could do that. You know, they haven't really quite solidified it. Like, for men, they really were starting to. So, basically, they took the same weight classes as men, but the rules and regulations varied, like, from from promotion to promotion. I mean, you had stuff all across the board. So my very first amateur fight, my first and only amateur fight, I fought this girl, and she was supposed to be this, like, five-foot-six blonde chick from somewhere, like, I don't, I don't know, it was, like, Kentucky or West Virginia area, something like that. And so she was supposed to have, like, maybe she had a couple of fights or whatever. I was like, mm-hmm. okay, cool. All right, that'll work out. You know, I've had a bunch of judo tournaments, grappling tournaments, so I guess that evens out. More like that. Mm-hmm. So I got there, weighed in 135, whatever, and that's not who was standing across the, the <laughs> ring from me. <laughs> so I got in there, and this girl was every bit five foot ten and thick black cornrows now look i'm about five five and a half although i'll pretend that i'm five six <laughs> so i'm like oh shit all right well i guess we're going to use little judo because you know whatever um so we got underway and we get going she she the bell rang she came across the the uh ring at me and I swear she got bigger and bigger <laughs> and bigger and then she got right up near me and then she hit me and I was like oh shit <laughs> <laughs> and she like she punched me right in the face I was like oh all right well it's you though so <laughs> ended up finally getting a hold of her and threw her we got to the ground now look I was at a disadvantage to begin with because she had fought and I had not it was my first MMA fight and this was the main event, of course, because, you know, women back then were a spectacle. It was, like, unheard of. So we were the main event. It was one 10-minute round. And... One 10-minute round? For some reason. 
Yeah, it was one 10-minute round. And for some reason, there was no punching to the face on the ground. <laughs> of course. And obviously. so I'm like, <laughs> yeah, well, okay. But this time, I'm judo heavy. Like, mm-hmm. I am all kinds of judo. Like, I'm judo Jean LaBelle. Like, mm-hmm. that's all me. And I have some submissions. But I'm on top of this chick, and she's huge, and she's bucking me all over the place. I'm on top of her, but I can't punch her in the face. And I've, I'm, she can't get me off of her, and I've got this, but I don't want to give up any kind of position because I don't want to, you know, mess things up because <laughs> it took me a long enough time to get her down there. Mm. And so I'm trying to find all these creative ways to, like, punch her, <laughs> but just not in the face because I don't want to get disqualified. So, yeah, back then, it was up in the air. It was all kinds of crazy rules. Yeah, yeah it was one 10-minute round, and there was no punching to the face. Now, I don't remember if that was just for me, for my fight, or if that was for all the fights on that show. So, so it was sometimes it was a little show called Kick Fest. So sometimes it was even different based on where you were on the card. Yeah, 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 true. Yeah, that's yeah. wild. So I yeah, know that right? uh, from, from there, uh, obviously you went on to, to a huge career, but also you got involved in sort of uh, influencing the New Jersey Athletic Commission to change some of the rules for women. Can you tell us a little bit about the work that you did with them? Um, Some of the things, I was on the, I was the only female fighter sort of on, like, I guess, like the advisory board or something for the ABC Commission which helped with writing the rules and everything. And so we would get, like, they would send us emails about, like, which different rules we thought of and, like, what needed to change, what we thought needed to be addressed and things like that. And I helped set the requirements for the women's weight classes, which basically I was like, well, they just need to be the same as men's pretty much. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was that. I just, I mean, I weighed in on that. And I also weighed in on the... um Spike Elbow's rule, uh, women's rounds and time limits needed to be the same across the board, just like men. Because, I mean, within the confines of the sport, a shorter a shorter round, like a three-minute round, favors a striker. Mm-hmm. Because on the ground, it takes a little bit longer to set things up strategically, especially if you have someone that's just as well-matched as you. So a five minute round is a lot better, you know, to like prove, you know, who's got better capabilities in that area. Mm-hmm. So like, I know that, um, I think it was elite XC who was trying to do, they're doing three minute rounds. And I was, I raised holy hell about that. Um, I talked to several of the different athletic commissions and stated my case and like my reasoning and whatever. I talked to a lot of different people back then. I even got a chance to talk to Gina Carano and got her on board with it. And she mentioned a few things and I mean, everything finally got sorted out and we had five minute rounds. We had our weight classes and stuff and everything was all good. So that was just sort of two of the things. Um, Also, also, so in boxing, I guess they use these little, these breast check chest plates or breast plates, breast cups. I don't know what the hell they are, (laughs) but they look absolutely horrible they're like these hard turtle shell things that go over your boobs. Mm. And I remember the ultimate fighter talking to me before I went on the ultimate fighter and asked me, so what kind of gear, like what kind of stuff are you guys 
should you be using, you know, as women? Is it different? Like, should women be wearing a cup? Do you have to wear a chest protector? I was like, no. If anything, that's more of a hindrance and can be used as a weapon than anything else. So basically, just as guys, yeah, we don't have that little extra appendage down there. So we don't don't really need that hardcore protection. So we don't need to wear a cup because it's just going, you know, like you can use it as a weapon during an arm bar or any kind of mount or something like that. So, yeah, we don't, we definitely didn't need it, especially the way that they're made. Oh, my God, no. Absolutely not. (laughs) It movements. Terrible. We've gone from a world where we had, you know, pretty much no weight classes. We've had, uh, you know, some people fighting in three-minute rounds, some people fighting in five-minute rounds. We've had, you know, the suggestion of breastplates in order for protection to what you see now, (laughs) right? We see MMA now. Yeah. It's exactly the same. Uh, and, and now you see way more women in, in the limelight. I mean, Cyborg headlined the last pay-per-view. If I had told you back in 2001 when you first got started that women's MMA would have come this far, that they'd be headlining the biggest pay-per-views, uh, what would you have? What would 2001 Tara LaRosa have said to that? Well, shit. I can't wait to see how we get there. That's exactly what I would have said because I believed in it. But you know what? Back then... Like, every conversation I had was to educate, to educate. I mean, I can remember having conversations in the electronics aisle in Walmart <laughs> when I'm looking at, like, the UFC DVDs or other DVDs that were for sale or anything, and somebody asked me about it or whatever. I would have conversations in the airport or in train stations or wherever I was or wherever I was traveling. Of course, my family and my friends, I had to educate everybody. Because everybody's like, oh, kickboxing. No, 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 not kickboxing. Oh, like pro wrestling? No, 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 not not like pro wrestling. <laughs> so it was just, it, you had to describe it. You had to really spell it out and lay it out. And it would take five or ten minutes. Yeah. So you, I was constantly having these discussions. And then, of course, there was the people who oh, well, women can't do that. Oh, well, you know, women shouldn't be fighting. That's just... That's not right. Oh, God. And that just brought up a whole other conversation and on and on and on. So that was my thing of, is educating. Yeah. Out, out of curiosity, do you ever wish that sort of like, you know, your, your, your prime, at your prime, you were like the number one woman in the world for your weight class. <laughs> are, are you are you ever upset that, you know, your prime didn't sort of come when this, this big boom was happening? Are you just happy to be part of sort of the narrative that got it there? You know, like, are you happy to be one of those people that it wouldn't have existed without. Everything happens for a reason. Everything happens the way it does for a reason. Um, I'm, I'm pretty much, I'm content with my place in history. I'm content with the role that I played in, in helping the sport, you know, re- regardless of women's MMA or, or whatever, but MMA in general. Mm-hmm. I mean, I also spoke at the, the New York rallies for legalization. Mm-hmm. You know, and several different other things. So I'm pretty happy with with how everything worked out. Who knew it would get so big? But I did know, and we all knew, that once it hit mainstream, a lot of things were going to change. And they did. And they did. For better or for worse. Mm -hmm. But now we're here and now we're accepted. Mm -hmm. And that was always my dream, was for acceptance and to listen to people talk about women's MMA and the different opponents mm-hmm. in, in like a, 
in in a way that they the same way they talked about men. Who has better striking? Oh my God! Do you think her? Do you think her jujitsu can can negate her wrestling? Do you think she has better stand up than her? And it's so freaking awesome mm. to hear people talk technically about the women fighters, about female fighters. That was always what I wanted. That was my big deal. Mm. I didn't, you know, I never wanted anybody to, like, oh, well, you know, she has better, she has a better ass than the other girl. <laughs> so I really hope she wins. Like, I hate that. I really, it drives me fucking crazy. I hate that shit. Yeah. I but, know, you know, yeah, it's so awesome to hear people talk technically. Yeah, like, that's that's the win for me. That's the big win. Is there a woman who you watch now in the UFC or elsewhere uh, that you really like watching technically, that, that you sort of, uh, you appreciate the art more than anything? I just love Cyborg. I really do. I just love her destruction. Yeah. Uh, truly. I really do. But I loved Ronda, too, because, of course, I came from judo, just like she did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and so to, to be able to see you know aspects of yourself and her there, that's a big thing. So I, I'm gonna end this with one more question here. So our show is really big on countdowns. Every single week we do a top five countdown of something called the Combat Countdown. This week we're counting down the top five women's pioneers of MMA. So obviously we're gonna leave out yourself on this one, but other than yourself, who are? <laughs> I'll, I'll give you three. Who are three women that you would argue need to be on this list other than yourself? Uh, and why? First and foremost, Marlos Conan. To me, Marlos Conan was like the mother of MMA in Europe and like in general. I mean, this chick, she started fighting, I think, either in 99 or 2000. She came from a kickboxing background, and she's from Holland. Mm -hmm. And this chick hit a flying arm bar in 2000. Back in 2000, when she fought in a tournament, MMA tournament the fight, remix. in the remix, yeah. yes, oh my god, that's amazing, a flying armbar back then, oh for fuck's sake, that's insane, like that, she's always been somebody that I looked up to. From a kickboxing background, yeah, insane. Oh my god, oh my god, she was amazing, she was absolutely amazing, like, she's somebody that I looked up to, like completely, mm-hmm. um, I mean, there's... Oh, God, there's just so many damn people. Like, seriously. Yeah, that's why um, I figured I had to somebody do three else or, that... else, or else we could be here all night. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, somebody else that I looked up to was Amanda Buckner. Mm-hmm. That's somebody who was coming up just like me at the very same time, and I always liked to watch her fight because she was so dynamic. Mm-hmm. She was very technical, and especially with her grappling, she tailored it so well to MMA. Mm-hmm. And she was just inventive. And she knee-barred this chick, Leca Vieira, who was a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt in uh, the first Abu Dhabi in 2005. It was the first Abu Dhabi that allowed women. Mm-hmm. They had a women's division in 2005. That was insane. That was unheard of. That was so freaking cool. And, like, forever, I will forever use that move. Oh, my God. So she was a big influence on me, as was Marlos. And then another chick who hardly anybody has ever heard about, Megumi, not Fuji, but Yabushita. Megumi Yabushita. Like, this is what this chick, this little tiny Asian chick, was one of the first people. She also came from pro wrestling, but she was one of the first people in MMA, one of the first women. She was also in Remix. And this little chick, she was like 128, 130 pounds back then, 
she beat Svetlana Gundarenko. This chick was like 320. And it was just, she's just tenacious and she never quit. And she was like a little animal. Granted, she may not have ever been the best, but she was just awesome. And her spirit is what absolutely shone through. And she, she was amazing. As, as recently as like two years ago, too. I know I saw her in a fight. Yeah, in, probably. Uh, yeah. <laughs> just keeps... Yep. Absolutely crazy. <laughs> um, but... So there's, a, there's just some of the people... You know, I mean, there's in addition to, I mean, freaking Jen Hal, Judy Neff, Shayna Baszler, mm -hmm. Julie Kedzie. Um, oh, my God. Who else? I named Amanda Jen, Buckner. Jen Kelly Cobalt came like along like afterwards. Like... Yeah. There's so many. Mm. There's Jen just Howe so many freaking like women. Oh, Jen Hal, Jen Hal beat the shit out of me. <laughs> <laughs> that was only my, it was either my third or fourth fight. Mm. And I didn't. I, I, I didn't have great takedowns. I had phenomenal ground. Mm -hmm. I, was a, I was leagues ahead of everybody else on the ground back then. That was my huge asset. If I could get you to the ground, it was game over. For some reason, I just excelled really well in the ground, but my stand-up kind of sucked, mm -hmm. like bad, and I just couldn't quite catch it. Like, it, never really, it never really blossomed for me. But Jen Hale... I think it was something like two minutes and 18 seconds into the first round. Yeah. yeah. She knocked me down four times, and I only got up three. Yeah. You weren't <laughs> the only one in that time, too, because she was mowing over everybody. Oh, no kidding, right? She took everybody out. But yeah. then it was just like there was just nobody else for her. Mm -hmm. But then eventually we all rose up, and we all kind of – that was when the boom happened. Yeah. happened. Right like right around that time was when the rest of us all, and then she lost to Roxanne Montefiore mm. twice back to back, and then I beat Roxanne, and then that made, that's what kicked my reign off yep. right there. So, <laughs> yeah. I feel like, Tara, we could probably talk this stuff for hours on end, but unfortunately I got to cut you off here. Uh, Tara LaRosa, we really thank you for the time. This was excellent. Um, loved every second of it. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks so much for remembering me, and thanks for having me. It's a super honor. And that interview with Tara LaRosa was, of course, brought to you by Dead Frog Brewery. Look, we're in the middle of a craft beer explosion, and there are a ton of pretenders out there, but not Dead Frog. When they say they are giving you high-quality beer with fresh ingredients, they mean it. The beer has no pasteurization, no preservatives, and that's why it comes out tasting so damn fresh. I'd recommend their Green Magic IPA for you craft beer nuts, but if you're just stepping into the game of the nice beers, feel free to check out their Steel Tord Lager for a little bit of a lighter taste. And if you'd like to see more of what they have in store for you, head to deadfrog.ca or pick some up at your local liquor store today. And this is Dave and Dan with Top Turtle MMA on flowcombat.com. Dave, that was Tara LaRosa. What did you think? Uh, I think my favorite part was her talking about those early days of women's MMA where the rules weren't so set in stone when it came to commissions and referees. Yeah, and the, the crazy one is that the, the no punches to the head on the ground uh, is, just, is just baffling to me. Because, like, 12-6 elbows already can be sort of a baffling rule. But, like, punches on the ground uh, is just well, insane I to me. I think that's something for, you know, we did this episode and we're going to get to our combat countdown, the early pioneers of female MMA, uh, you know, in honor of the month and International Women's Day and 
Uh, it's so crazy how far women's MMA has come, much like how far men's MMA has come since 1993. But I think the women still struggle with some stuff. You know, I think uh, it's been, I don't know if it's been proven, but I think there is a thought out there that refs are quicker to stop fights. Not Mario Yamasaki, but most refs. <laughs> are quicker to stop fights when a girl might be getting hit than, let's say, a man. Do you find that to be the case still? Yeah, I, I think that's still the case. And and that's sort of, you know, some of the stuff we were talking about there, too, is this that it, it has come a long way. There's still a little ways to go, though, and uh, I think that that's important to remember. I agree. That's my whole thing is, like, yes, it's come a long way, and obviously Gina Carano and Cyborg and Ronda are, like, the flag bearers for how far it's come and, and now you have girls like Rose Namajunas and Amanda Nunes as your, you know, your current flag bearers and, and champions and two badass women at that. And uh, even the fact that Cyborg and Holly sold, you know, 350,000 pay-per-views at the end of 2017, all incredible stuff. But then, you know, you look at it and it's like, why are there cards with no women on it? At all. You know, they have. Uh, yeah, they have three solid divisions, one bullshit division. You would think there would be more women's fights, but then you go on Twitter, and there are a lot of female professional fighters saying, how come I can't book a fight? Yeah. Like, what is and, going and on with that? We've talked to ones, too. Tatiana Suarez said that when we had her on the show, is that she thought it was bullshit that she couldn't get booked quicker. I mean, she didn't say it like that, but that's essentially the, the you know, tone of it. Yeah. So, you know, with th- with all that said... It's a celebration of how far they've come. Uh, There's still a ways to go, I think. And I think, you know, that's somewhat natural. If you want to say Gino in the late 2000s got the party really started on a mainstream level, Ronda kicked it into fucking overdrive in 2013 when she joined the UFC. All right, that's like 10 years, a decade. Well, the UFC, or the sport of MMA, so to speak, has been since 1993, November. So, you know, that's been 25 years. And the men still have a ways to go. And the sport as a whole still has a way to go. Sponsorship still hasn't been worked out for these fighters. Some sort of an association or a union needs to get in place. So, you know, both the men and the women have have a little bit of ways to go, I think. Yeah, I I think so, too. Um, And before we get to the combat countdown here, too, I, I do have to mention that Tara LaRosa, who was our guest this week, uh, did text me afterwards because I asked her who she would put in this countdown, uh, and she listed like 20 names, and then felt really <laughs> bad that she she felt really bad that she did not mention Roxanne Matafari or Rossi Sexton. Those were the two that she felt really bad about leaving out, uh, especially Roxy. But but both of those two, uh, she wanted me to mention that she she did think about afterwards. <laughs> I love it. So those were Tara's honorable mentions. One of them might have found their way into our top five. Why don't we get right into that? Gumby, are you ready for the Combat Countdown? Of course I am. It's time for the Combat Countdown. All right. Kick things off. Hit number five. It's the Gumby yeah, Megumi Fuji, uh, I put her on the list here. She debuted in 2004, which is a little bit later than everybody else on the list here. Uh, but for me, she was such a big deal for women's MMA because she was, like, a the first, like, mega superstar uh, from Japan that, like, American fans were, like, calling for almost. Uh, she wound up getting into Bellator where she started 22-0, by the way, which is just absolutely freaking crazy. Uh, and when she ended her career, she had never been finished. 
and had 19 submissions, including submitting Carla Esparza, a very young Carla Esparza. Um, but she was a judo black belt, a BJJ black belt, and a master of sambo. So she was like one of the first women to be like expert in very many places. You know, like a lot of girls early were putting the game together well, but she was the first one to be like a real expert in like three or four different areas and, uh, you know, started 22-0. and 0. So that, that's, uh, that's certainly notable. You know, you see that a lot. There's almost like a Babe Ruth aspect to new leagues. Uh, you know, Babe Ruth obviously dominated when maybe not all the best athletes were playing at the time, dead ball era, uh, uh, you know, everything that goes into that. And then you have kind of like Hoist Gracie. You know, no one knew jiu-jitsu. He goes on a run. Okay, he triangles 13 people early days it's kind of like he was on a different playing field same thing i think for fuji i think for ronda in the early days of you know even a new weight class let's say i think you see domination from one person and then fields start to even yeah and well i i think too that the fields had started to even and then she space she took things up like a further notch you know, like, we're, we're going to talk about some girls who were, like, the first really well-rounded ones, but she was the first one to take it, like, that second level to that, like, super expert level and sort of push people a little more. I probably would have ranked her higher if she was, like, more influential on, like, the early, early days of women's MMA, uh, which she was, you know, she's a little bit later to the party. All right, I still like it. Coming in at number four, it's a personal favorite of this show because she trained at our gym, New England Submission Fighting. It's number four, Roxanne Matafari. Yeah, and, and, you know, I talked uh, when we were talking about Fuji just now about how, uh, you know, there needed to be that, like, first group that was really well-rounded, and I think Roxanne was one of those first ones. She may not have been an expert in all of those areas like Fuji, but she was the first one to take it from people being super specialized to people having tons and tons of different skills she debuted in 2003 which is a little bit early than fuji she had a nasty trilogy with our guest uh tarla rosa she fought a couple other people on this list so i won't give them away yet uh but she sort of ushered in that area of like the best women fighting the best women uh which before you know there were like definitely more like smash matches um sort of like the women's featherweight division now um but yeah, so she was sort of the first one to do that. So for that reason, I thought she was really influential. And what a fucking career she's had, right? I mean, she went to Japan and did a lot of her fights there. Um, she's back in title contention. It's crazy. Back, right. And I was going to say, you know, she had like a, a really rough stretch there. I want to say maybe one in four. I don't I have it in front of me. four in a row. Four in a row, right. And, and then to come back, uh, you know, she, she ended up at Syndicate got her striking where it needed to be and you know to be a title challenger it's almost like she's led two different careers yeah or three for that matter (laughs) (laughs) so props to her we love us some roxanne coming in at number three it's a name that's actually familiar if you've been watching invicta it's marlos conan yeah invicta or bellator too she i think she swung over there to bellator for a while uh marlos conan debuted in 2000 uh, and she was um, one of the first people who was starting to put it all together, too. You know, we talked about the well-roundedness, but there was a really, really awesome tournament in 2001 called the Remix, um, where they invited, it was basically like UFC 1 only for the best women in the world, and they invited her over as a Dutch kickboxer, but she won her first fight via flying armbar. 
Uh, and you know, that, that's why when, when Tara mentioned it in the interview, uh, you know, she had to be on this list just because she was the one who showed that a kickboxer could do jujitsu too. Uh, and I think that that was the first time where people were like, holy shit. And, and for that reason, Marlos Conan's got to be on there. I love it. And coming in at number two, oh my God, it's almost like we planned this all around having her on the show. It's our guest this week. It's Tara LaRosa. La yeah, so Tara LaRosa's on here for a couple of different reasons. Number one is, yeah, she was part of that, like, Roxanne Modafari, uh, you know, that Roxanne Modafari well-roundedness, uh, best fighting the best sort of era. And she, she sort of helped that, especially fighting Roxy three different times. But also that, that stuff we talked about on the show, she worked with the New Jersey Athletic Commission about getting the rules to be the same, not just for women, but for men and working out the amateur stuff. She's somebody who actually shaped MMA entirely uh, in so many different ways, not just in the cage, but outside of the cage. So for that reason, she's, you know, she's a pioneer of MMA in so many different ways. She's a member of the New Jersey Martial Arts Hall of Fame. Um, so obviously they see the benefit of her as well. And, and I, I just was pumped that we got to talk to her this week too. Yeah, I, that was awesome. Uh, and we were so happy she agreed to be a part of it. And, you know, we were happy, uh, to name her number two, so well deserving, not just cause she was our guest this week. We actually worked the list out before we even booked her. All right, we'll move, we'll move to number one. It's Jennifer. What? Where? Why? How? It's Jennifer How. Yeah, so Jennifer How, for me, uh, you know, I, I talked about it a little bit with LaRosa, too, is that I, I think that it, it's really hard because so many people overlook Jennifer How because her career was so short. She debuted in 1998, so that, that's a long time ago for, for women's MMA. She started 11-0. She wound up losing two to Roxanne uh, right in a row, and uh, she wound up having back issues that kind of ended her career. But to me, she was like that first mythical MMA fighter that ever, nobody thought could be beat uh, for mm -hmm. women. You know, she, she was, uh, and a matter of fact, I, I did an interview with Monty Cox one time, who is a famous promoter slash agent. Uh, he was in the news recently for some not so great stuff. But uh, when, when I interviewed him, he called Jennifer Howe the female Fedor. Uh, and I, I think that that gives sort of the mystique to it. Even though not so many people were watching her at that time, she had that, like, mystique that couldn't be beat. Uh, and she was 11-0 to start her career before those back issues popped up. So, to me, uh, having that, like, mythical first fighter is so important in order to have, like, a storied uh, sports career. I really like it. I like the way we did that there. And, uh, you know, hey, maybe you disagree with us. We wanted to kind of think outside the Gina, Cyborg, Rousey, pioneer vision and like we really wanted to go deep with pioneers. this deep tracks the early pioneers the very first women the columbuses of you know maybe that's a bad analogy in this day and age but it, the, these were the true pioneers in the late 90s to early 2000s so we hope you enjoyed the list and guess what if you didn't we want to hear about it we are at top turtle mma on twitter Hit us up with a tweet. Tell us if you disagree or agree. We love to hear your feedback. And I'll mention right now as we wrap up the combat countdown, we are heading in to the greatest lightweight fight of all time. It's Habib versus Tony. And the next four weeks of combat countdowns are a complete homage to that matchup. 
we will be doing the top five Tony performances, the top five Habib performances. We'll be doing the top five lightweight matchups of all time. And then the week after the fight, because it'll help determine the ranking of the combat countdown, we will count down the top five UFC lightweights of all time. Obviously, whoever wins will get preferential treatment in that top five. We could not be more excited about that fight, so why not dedicate a month of combat countdowns to it? Am I right, or am I right, or am I right? Oh, you are right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that wraps up the combat countdown. Gumby, what else we got on the docket today? So we're going to be doing the, the countdown of the top three fights of UFC London, but before we do that, we want to mention that this is brought to you by Garage Fit. So you can go to garagegym.net. That's garagegym.net. And right there, you can find all of the materials you could possibly need to set up your home garage workout session. That way, if you can't get to the gym, like me, because you're busy or you're at jujitsu and you just can't get there or you don't want to buy the gym membership, you can set up everything at home. Go to garagegym.net uh, and check out what they got for you. So we're gonna check all out right. The, we're going to check out the top three fights for UFC London this week. Um, so UFC London has got... Uh, sort of a lackluster card here not a whole lot of stuff going on but my three picks for this week uh i really like to watch the the main event here because alexander volkov is sort of under the radar as a big contender here uh and he's facing off with fabricio verdum in a fight that i think if he wins he might be one of the top three or four heavyweights and really looking down at a title shot afterwards i'm gonna go with fabricio verdum here though uh just because he can match the height and the pace standing and if Volkov was dumb enough to go to the ground with him well he's Fabrizio Verdum uh the second fight I like is the co-main event between Jimmy Manawa and Jan Blankovic uh I, I like Jan Blankovic in this one even though he doesn't quite have the reach to match Jimmy Manawa uh I like his wrestling uh especially how it looked against uh Alexander Gustafson not the defensive side of the wrestling but the offensive side of the wrestling uh and Jimmy Manawa doesn't have a really good history of defending the takedown so maybe Jan Blankovic uh, gets the upset win here. I know he's a plus 175 underdog right now. And the last fight that's kind of under the radar is Danny Henry, who came off of a fight where he was expected to lose on short notice against uh, Daniel Tamer, not David Tamer, but his little brother Daniel Tamer. And he's going to be fighting another, you know, well-respected newcomer in Hakeem Dawudu, uh, who is a heavily touted prospect out of Canada. People are super hyped up on him, but I love Danny Henry here in this matchup because, again, similar to Blankovic, he's just kind of got that wrestling style that I think uh, might be bad news for Dawudo. And, and the odds aren't out yet on this one, but I would guess he's probably as high as a plus 300 underdog because people are really, really high on Hakeem. So to quick recap there, uh, the fights I like here, Fabrizio Verdum over... Alexander Volkov, I like Jan Blankovic over Jimmy Manawa, and I like Danny Henry as a surprise upset over Hakeem Dawudu. Uh, so, uh, there you have it, Dave. That's our uh, countdown of our three best fights for this weekend. Yeah, I like where your head's at with this. I like that you're going for dogs. I am buying what you're putting down for Verdum and Dayodu. Uh I, however, am picking Manawa versus Blankovic, but we will uh, we'll let time tell. Uh, that wraps up our show. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it. We, of course, want to thank Flow Combat, our mothership. We want to thank our sponsors, Dead Frog Brewery, Garage Fit, ADK Fightwear. What are you doing even listening to this? Go to ADK Fightwear, enter in promo code TURTLE, and get yourself a 10% discount. 
I am David Tremonti. He is Daniel Gumby Vreeland. And this is an interview we did with Leon Edwards. Listen to this. Tell us what you think about it at Top Turtle MMA. And we'll be back next week. Here is Leon Edwards. This is Daniel Gumby Vreeland with Top Turtle MMA on FlowCombat.com. And we have the pleasure today of speaking to Leon Rocky Edwards, who fights Peter Sabata at Fight Night 127 in London on March 17th. Uh, Leon, let, let's start off here. You, you've won four in a row in kind of a sneaky way, and actually six out of seven. Did you sort of feel yeah. like you deserved a bigger name than Sabata in this fight uh, pretty much at home? Um, exactly. I, I, I thought I deserved um, a ranked opponent. Like I said, I'm on a four-fight win streak. Um, there's not many guys that's in the world to a division that's on a four-fight win streak. So I thought I, I would have got um, a ranked opponent, but Sabata stepped up to the plate. Um, respect to him, but I'm, I'm going out there to put, to put him away, so it is what it is. Yeah, and it is what it is, and in, in, like you said, you got to respect him for stepping up and fighting a, a tough opponent. Was was there a name on your mind when you were looking for this fight in London uh, that you were hoping for as far as ranked opponents go? Oh, well, I, I called out um, Donald Cerrone in the past. Um, they gave a, another guy a fight. Um, I, um, they gave, I think they gave Taylor a fight. Um, I think I've done, done the same um, for what, what Taylor did to Cerrone, so... And, and anyone in the top ten would do for me, you know. Um, whoever they give me the top ten, that, that's 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 my aim um, this year. Just crack that top ten, top five. Yeah, and and so when you uh, when you step in there, kind of in London, if you do pick up the win, which we're expecting against Peter Zabata, is there a name yeah. you're expecting to call out? Do you do you have a sort of a plan of attack uh, for the post fight interview? Um, not not yet. Yeah, I, I haven't looked. Um, can't say we, we want to fight yeah, in the top ten, but I know. After this fight, after, after I've been a five-fight win streak, uh, I want to fight a top ten guy then. So, I, 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 in in a few weeks, I'll sit down with my management team, my coaches, and I'll I'll pick someone up and I'll, I'll call them out. Yeah, in in one of your uh, one of your former opponents, Kamar Usman, uh, recently yeah. just picked up another win here. Is a rematch with him on your mind at some point in time? Yeah, hundred percent. I want to get get that win back. You know. Um, Kumar is is doing good. Um, I think it's his forty four um, um, last weekend. So, hundred percent, I want to get a win back. So he's definitely on my list. Awesome, and we would look forward to seeing that. So, uh, I want to change gears a little bit and talk about your upcoming fight. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, we, I, I've talked to a lot of fighters about what it's like to fight uh, so close to home, and, and you fought yeah. a couple of times away from the UK, but most of your fights are inside the UK. Do you find it harder or easier to fight? Uh, no. uh, I, 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 I love fighting here. You know, um, London's only two hours drive for me down the road, so I, I, I've never lost in Europe. Um, I, I love competing here. The fans are great, so yeah. I, I don't mind. I, I find it way easier. I find, I find it easier to just to get up, drive, drive two hours and fight. So it's not bad for me, and it's cheaper. So even what it is. <laughs> So, um, uh, sort of another uh, England-based question here. So, there, there's lots of rumors of this being Michael Bisping's uh, last fight, possibly being yeah. the, the headliner to the card. Uh, you know, sort of, what do you think about fighting on the undercard of a Michael Bisping fight? Him being kind of like the patriarch of English MMA. Um, I think I think it's great. I've actually fought under um, Bisping before in Manchester, and I, I, I don't find um, when, when he's there and other UK guys are there. You know, I mean, just um. Just building the sport in the country, so uh, I, I love it. You know, I think this is the last one, so it'd be good to get him on the card and um, for him to go out, go out in the UK and, and be in there while, while, while he retires. So yeah, it'd be, it's good to get him on London. 
Yeah, and that would certainly be one you'd have to get out of the locker room to go watch, huh? Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. I'll I'll be there watching it after puts the battery away. <laughs> I'll I'll be there watching it. Yeah. So uh, let's get a little personal here too. So uh, if we we go back a ways now, before you got into MMA, you used to go to school in London with a pro soccer player, a couple of cricketers. Uh, what what drew yeah. you to fighting instead of one of those two sports? Oh, well, back back in there, I used to love football. I think most kids did um, growing up in England. So, um, then I was, I was gravid somehow, gravid, um, started getting in trouble. But then my, my mom brought me to the gym, um, which is UTC, in, which is close to home. So I went there um, just just to stay out of trouble. Then literally, was just, that's it. I fell in love with the sport. And it just sticks to you from there, and here I am. <laughs> wow, instinctive, you said. So, uh, so... After being like instinctual in in your training, do you remember what it was like yeah. the first time you stepped into a cage for an actual fight? And and what was sort of the feeling there? It was crazy because I, I was only training for like I think for like four or five months. Then they made me do like an amateur fight, and <laughs> I was fucking it was nervous. So it's it, it, it madness, you know. Yeah, I think I'm nervous today, but it is. It is. Um, I, I, I learned to deal with it now, and uh, here we are. So, and, you know, you said it was instinctual. It's not instinctual for a lot of people. And, in fact, it's, it's very counterintuitive yeah. uh, in a lot of ways, jiu-jitsu, MMA, all of the above. So, is it like a level of athleticism? Is this like something, if you weren't a professional fighter, you could also go play football or you could also go play cricket? Exactly. I, I think I've done great in any sport. I think um, I'm just built, built to, to compete. My, my brother is the same. He's been doing MMA for like two, three years, and... He, he, he's, he's tearing up the, um, the UK scene, so I think he just, he just built in us just to get in there, and it comes easier than a lot of people. Like, I, I got, got to MMA when I was 17 years old. I, I was in the USC by 22, 23, so I think he's just, just built in, built in me. Mm-hmm. And, and you actually just brought up another excellent question for me. I love hearing about family members in MMA, brothers uh, brothers and sisters, husbands and wives, things like that. So you said your brother's on the up-and-coming of the, the sort of UK scene. Uh, when are we yeah. going to see him fight next? If, if, if fine soon. If, if I for um, a promotion in the UK called Banner. Um, I've also fought for a promotion in the past. Um, I wonder about there. And you'll get about as well. You know, he's fighting um, sometime a week before me. Um, in, in London as well, and, and Bama, so it's he, fine soon, and he, he'll be in the UFC soon as well. Awesome. And uh, what, what is it sort of like watching your brother go out there and fight? Because I know for some brothers it feels super tense. Some brothers you feel yeah. even more relaxed than when you're in there. Uh, what's it like watching your brother fight? It's crazy. I think I get more nervous watching him fight than, than, than me fighting. It's just madness. So <laughs> it, it is what it is. You know what I mean? He, he loves doing it. He's good at it, so... It, that takes pressure off me. Um, that is good at it. So it's all good. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm going to bring this back to you right before we close up because we're almost out of time here. Uh, you know, so yeah. you're, you're stepping into the cage once again with, with Peter Sabata on Fight Night 127 in London on March 17th. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's your prediction for the fight? How does this one go down? Uh, I, want, I want to finish. I need to go out here and push him back to the way to prove my case that I belong in the top 10. So I'm going out there looking for the finish this time. Um, I'm going out there and looking to put him away. I think Sabato will try to come out and try to wrestle. But I think I'll stuff that and I'll put him away on his feet. Awesome, and we're looking forward to it. So once again, Leon Rocky Edwards fights Peter Savada at Fight Night 127 in London, and that's on March 17th. Leon, thank you again so much for the time. 
Thank you. Thank you for having me.